to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. We'll read the entire chapter. That's page 33 in the Pew Bible. The last chapter moved away from Joseph, and now we're right back to the Joseph narrative. May God bless his holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me 
and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words and that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. You think about what Joseph had been through up to this point. This poor young man, he must have been crushed when his brothers did what they did. He found himself tied up, perhaps in a cage, dragged down to Egypt as a slave, sold into this living death, basically, by his own brothers, no less. What a betrayal. Maybe he wondered if death might have been better than the life that was ahead of him. He must have felt terrible. He must have felt hopeless, maybe abandoned. I wonder what kind of emotions flooded him. Sadness, fear, anger, probably a desire for revenge. Maybe he doubted God's care. Maybe even cried out like Jesus did, asking God, why have you forsaken me? There are definitely some real parallels to what we see in the sufferings of Joseph and the sufferings of Jesus. He's betrayed by his own kinsmen, sold for a few pieces of money. But at some point, Joseph finally responded to his sufferings the way our Lord Jesus also did. Somewhere along the line, he decided to forgive his enemies. He also decided to trust God for his life and for his circumstances that he was in. That's remarkable to see, to see Joseph doing that, because the natural man doesn't do that. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust that God is in control and working all things out for good. You know, even many who claim to be Christians don't believe that God is in control of all that comes to pass. Some flat out deny that. They deny God's providence. Some say that God doesn't even know what's going to happen in the future, let alone control it. Well, if that's the kind of God that we have, he's not worth much. 
He's not even worth praying to. Why bother praying if God can't help us, if he's not in control, if he can't do anything? That kind of God is not worthy of our trust or worthy of praying to. But of course, we see a very different picture of God in the scriptures, and in particular here in Genesis. We do see the importance of human responsibility, but we also see a God who is almighty, and he is intimately involved uh, in ordaining even the, the, the small details of the lives of his people. He's very much in control of what's been happening to Joseph. He has purposes in all this, purposes that he intends to fulfill. This is a God who makes promises and who has the power to keep them and does. He even uses the evil of men to bring his good purposes about. The Lord shows himself to be a God who rules over every inch of life. And so he is worthy of our trust, completely worthy. And Joseph's learning that. He's learning to trust in God. And God is showing himself to be faithful to this young man. So in the opening verses, we see Joseph's life as a slave, but we also see that God was having great favor upon Joseph, even in that situation as a slave. We're told Potiphar bought him from the Ishmaelites, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Now, that you wouldn't think that that goes together with being a slave, but that's what we're told. He's in the house of his Egyptian master. He's a slave, and yet he's a successful man. And it was because of the Lord's presence and blessing. Potiphar was a high-ranking official under Pharaoh. So this was a, this was a, a, a cultured setting that Joseph found himself in, uh, an aristocratic household. And, and what's highlighted here, though, is the fact that God is with Joseph. His presence, his blessing. And that's exactly what we should want as God's people. We want God to be with us in that precious and powerful way, too, don't we? He's present everywhere, at all times. He's omnipresent. But we want his special presence with us. We want his blessing upon us. Especially when we're going through hard times, trials, <clears throat> difficulties like Joseph was going through. He surely wanted to know the Lord's presence and blessing. And God was it with Joseph in that way. In a very special way. He set his favor upon Joseph in an amazing way. He gave him uh, incredible success in everything that he did. It seemed uh, 
He couldn't fail. Whatever his hands touched uh, turned to gold. He was successful. The Lord was blessing him. And Potiphar noticed this. We're told uh, he saw that the Lord was with Joseph and caused all that he did to succeed. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight. And he gave him more and more responsibilities. And God blessed everything that Potiphar gave him to do. God blessed Potiphar and his household for Joseph's sake, we're told. And the blessing of God that we see here, this extreme blessing, this sort of all-encompassing blessing on everything that Joseph does, there's a special purpose in that. It's part of God's plan to use Joseph as his instrument there in Egypt. It's uh, not necessarily that God is promising us all that he's going to bless every single thing we do with success, that uh, all the things that we touch, if we're in the right uh, spiritual state or whatever, uh, that God will make everything rosy. I don't think that is at all is what's being said here. But there's certainly nothing wrong with us seeking God to be present with us in a more powerful way and to bless us in a more uh, all-encompassing way in our lives. It's honoring to God when we seek Him that way, when we seek His blessing on all that we do. When we seek to know his presence in our lives, the Lord is pleased with that kind of prayer. And he certainly desires to bless us because he loves us. Notice something else here. It's, it's interesting that this man, this idol worshiper, this man who did not know the Lord, recognized the Lord's blessing. On Joseph. He recognizes the Lord. Potiphar is uh, a, a sun worshiper. His, his name is related to the name of Ra, the false sun god of Egypt, but he attributes Joseph's success not to his false god, but to Joseph's god, the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant god of Israel. And Potiphar knows that he was benefiting from that God of Joseph working and blessing his household through Joseph. God had said to Abraham back in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you. And it seems that that promise was being worked out here. In a, in a beautiful way, in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was good to Joseph. He was uh, seeing how good God was being to Joseph, and he uh, was blessed as a result. The Lord prospered it all. It was the Lord's doing. Ra didn't have anything to do with this. Those false gods of Egypt didn't have uh, any, uh, anything to do with the good that was done to Potiphar and his household. The Lord did it all. He acknowledged that. 
The Lord blessed this pagan household because of Joseph. So even as Joseph is there suffering in slavery in those dark times, God blessed him with his presence and with success. That's something for us to remember in our dark times. We shouldn't think that the dark times equal um, the absence of God's presence and blessing. They don't. God is willing and able to draw near to you and to bless you in wonderful ways even in those hard times, those dark times of trial and tribulation. I might even say more so in those times because we're a lot more likely to seek him in those times. When things are easy, we're prone to not seek him. Well, time passed, and Joseph was, uh, was elevated in uh, Potiphar's household. He'd reached sort of the pinnacle of his time there. But then trouble comes in the form of temptation. Joseph was uh, now a handsome young man, we're told, and Potiphar's wife had eyes for him. She was attracted to him, and she threw herself at him. And she tried to entice him to sleep with her. And notice how Joseph responded. And this temptation of Joseph has been called the prototype for all temptation. And Joseph's response is a model for us all to follow when we face any kind of temptation to sin. Let's look at this temptation. First of all, we see that it was a powerful temptation. Joseph, however elevated he was in that household, uh, however um, great responsibilities he had and, and favor in the eyes of his master, he was still a slave. And this woman was in a position of power over him. And she was used to getting what she wanted. And she wanted him to sleep with her. She demanded it. She was probably an attractive woman. Joseph was a young man. Young man, probably full of hormones. Probably lonely. All that he's been through. He had no wife yet. The affections of an attractive woman would have been very tempting to him. And who would know? That's sort of the question uh, in this passage. Who would know? She's doing this in a secretive way, and she's not going to tell her husband about this. Sexual promiscuity with slaves was very common in those days. And Joseph's brothers hadn't exactly modeled sexual purity for him. Just the opposite. So he had their bad example in his memory. And so the pressure to give in to this temptation was very strong. So what does he do? He refused to give in. First he said, how could I do this against my master? 
He trusts me with everything of his. Now, a lot of men might say, well, the master's away. He's not going to know, so why not? That's basically what that foolish young man in Proverbs 7 said. That woman enticed him and her husband wasn't home, so he gave in. But Joseph is just the opposite. He's no fool. He's not that foolish young man of Proverbs 7. He's a man of integrity. He's a godly young man. And he refuses to break the trust of his master. Joseph also reminds himself of his boundaries here. He says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. Think about that more broadly. We need to remember that certain things are just not for us. Certain things are just not for us, and we have no business taking them. God withholds certain things from us, and if he does that, it's for our good. And for us to to covet them or, or to to reach out and take what is not ours is sin. Joseph knew he had no right to touch this woman. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember a similar scene playing out. How Satan tempted Adam and Eve. It was with that fruit, that single fruit that God had held back from them, that God forbid them to eat of. That was the only fruit that he forbid them to eat of. They had all the fruit in the world to enjoy. Everything else in that garden was theirs to enjoy. They could never probably get to the bottom of it all, and there was no lack whatsoever. There was just a superabundance of wonderful blessing to enjoy, but that one forbidden thing was what Satan focused their hearts on. And then they became discontent because they didn't have that one thing. They were discontent with all those other blessings that they had to enjoy. How foolish. Well, Joseph chose the better way. He acknowledged his boundaries. And he refused the forbidden fruit. May God form that same kind of godliness and restraint and integrity in all of us so that we will stand firm and say no to the things that are not for us. The clincher comes at the end of verse 9 here. Joseph says, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice, first of all, he calls sin, sin. That's what it was. 
She wasn't presenting it that way. But he calls it what it is. He tells her, what you want is evil. It's wickedness. He tells her so. It wasn't just innocent fun between two consenting adults. It wasn't just uh, something that wouldn't, wouldn't hurt anyone. No, it's sin, and sin is evil, rebellion against God. And it's evil against man, too. So call sin what it is. It is great wickedness against God and man. Don't downplay it in your mind. Call it what it is. Even more important is Joseph's awareness of God here. We see that. God's invisible. That presents us with a problem, doesn't it? We have to call his presence to mind. We have to remind ourselves that he's with us. And the invisible God was present there in that room. It wasn't just two people alone. Joseph knows God is with him. And when we remember that, it's a powerful deterrent against sin. We need to call that to mind. It's one of the best things we can do is uh, be in the habit of reminding ourselves of the Lord's presence with us. That is something that will make you happy, too, by the way. It will give you peace. But it gives you protection in a situation where you're tempted to sin. And Joseph knew that God was with him there. Nothing is hidden from God. And Joseph knew God hates sin. He knew he lived before the very face of God. And to give in to this woman would be to sin against God right in his face. As bad as it would be to sin against Potiphar, Joseph is far, far more concerned about God and sinning against God, as we should be. Remember what David said in Psalm 51. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. He's talking about his sin with Bathsheba. Now, there were a whole bunch of people that he sinned against in that sin, and not just God. But his point is that every sin, first and foremost, is a sin against God. And Joseph brought that to mind, that truth. He didn't want to sin against God. He brought his God to mind. And that enabled him, that strengthened him and helped him to move away from this temptation. May God help us to do the same. Call God to mind when you're tempted. And he will help you flee from temptation. Joseph had to endure that temptation day after day. It wasn't just once, it wasn't just twice. It was on and on, over and over. This woman would not give up. 
so he avoided being alone with her. And that was wise. That shows great wisdom. That's something we should learn from. One important part of saying no to any temptation is avoiding putting yourself into circumstances where you're going to be led and tempted and led into that temptation. Don't put yourself in a situation like that where you're going to be bombarded, where you know full well that you're going to be hit with temptation harder in that situation where you could have just avoided the situation altogether. People do that. I'm sure we've all done that, where we put ourselves into a situation like that, and then we wonder why is it so hard to resist sin? Well, you've put yourself in that situation. Just like that young man in Proverbs 7 did. He could have avoided the way that led him to that woman. It's very foolish to expose yourself to people, to places, to things that are going to lead you to temptation. Joseph knew that. That's why he tried to avoid the woman. He didn't let himself get alone with her. But one day she caught him when they were alone. One day it couldn't be avoided. She grabbed him by his cloak and said, lie with me. We see his response. He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. I wonder if the Apostle Paul had this story in mind when he told Timothy, flee from youthful lusts. The point is, don't dwell around these things that tempt you. Don't allow yourself to think about them over and over in your mind. Don't allow yourselves to look on them, uh, to think on them, to dwell on them. Don't toy with temptation. Run. Like Joseph did. You see the urgency in the way he did this. He ran away from his sin, this this. this opportunity to sin. He was so determined to get away, to escape from that snare that he left his cloak behind. He might have been half naked running out of the house to get away from her. And we see her wicked response. She was rejected and it made her furious. So he caused this great scene and lied and said that Joseph Uh, tried to attack her. Potiphar believed her. He was angry with Joseph and had him thrown in jail. But you wonder if maybe Potiphar wasn't totally convinced that his wife was innocent. He could have had Joseph executed for this. Maybe he saw through his wife's lies. Maybe he knew her a little better. But in any case, God's providence, again, he sovereignly intervenes and spares Joseph's life because he has purposes for this young man. But now Joseph is in jail. 
He's in another kind of pit. He's sitting in prison wrongfully. He's back at rock bottom, chained in a dark dungeon, and for doing what is right, no less. Imagine how you'd feel. Man, I did the right thing, and here I am in jail now. But in verses 20 to 23, we see God's favor still upon Joseph. The Lord was with him and showed his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And he put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And the keeper paid no attention to, to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and the Lord, he, the Lord just kept blessing the work of his hands, everything he did. The Lord was with him. He made, him, made it all succeed. You know, it's like a repeat of the opening lines of the chapter. What happened in Potiphar's house uh, with Joseph being blessed happens again here. It's a different setting, same result. The Lord, the covenant God of Israel, was with Joseph and blessed him with success with the favor of those who are over him. And I'm sure Joseph was a hard worker, but this isn't attributed to him at all. It's not just that Joseph is a good guy and a, and a diligent worker. God's blessing was upon him and everything he did. Well, what does this have to do with us? the way God blessed Joseph. Is the moral of the story that we can have uh, prosperity and success in everything that we do like Joseph did? And everything will just be golden in our lives? No. Remember, Joseph, uh, everything's not golden for him. All the things that he's been through, and now he's in this prison. This great blessing of God on Joseph was all in the context of suffering. Joseph's suffering, this great trial, being sold into slavery, and now he's stuck in prison, falsely accused, and yet God was blessing him and using him in the midst of his sufferings. It should give us a different light on our sufferings. God is pleased to bless his people in the midst of their sufferings. Of course, God also, again, had very special reasons for what he was doing with Joseph. It's all part of God's plan to use Joseph, ultimately, to save his people, Israel. In another sense, I do believe that we can expect God's favor to rest upon us as Christians in a wonderful way, in a very special way. And that is because we are Christians, because we are united to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're in a saving union with him. And who is this God who was with Joseph and who blessed him? so wonderfully in all these circumstances. We're told explicitly that it was the Lord 
It was Yahweh, the God of Israel. And now who is Jesus? He is one and the same God. He is God the Son. In fact, the name Jesus means the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. And so there's a good case that can be made that it was Christ before his incarnation who was there, present with Joseph, even in that prison, blessing him, protecting him, saving him from death, and sanctifying him through those trials he was going through. It's just like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to reveal himself as a God who is with us. He is with his people. Remember, Isaiah wrote of his birth, saying, they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he's with us as believers in Christ. And we can have full confidence of that. He is with us just as truly as he was with Joseph. We can't presume that he's always going to bless us in amazing temporal ways like he blessed Joseph and worked through him. But Scripture is very clear that we are abundantly blessed. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ, and he dwells in our hearts He's with us, as he promised, even to the end of the age. These are awesome truths. Let's believe them, and let's enjoy the reality of God's presence with us always. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, whatever your providence brings in our lives, we pray that you would give us faith to believe that you are with us always. You never forsake us, and you never fail to fulfill your purposes for us. Help us to trust that you are always with us and your favor is always upon us even when we are in the darkest of times. And that is true because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. You've put all our sin upon him so that all your favor could rest upon us by your grace. Help us to keep trusting in him and knowing that we are yours. And in him, you will never cease from blessing us because you love us with steadfast love. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.